Welcome to Served Neat, hosted by your girl, Jen Hartman. I'm the CEO of Neat, a boutique PR and marketing agency based out of Louisville, Kentucky. I launched Neat in 2019 with just $3,000 in my bank account. Since then, I've had the opportunity to work with hundreds of emerging brands and Fortune 500 empires. I believe that marketing and PR should be served neat, just like your favorite bourbon. On this podcast, you'll hear about the latest and greatest growth strategies, the ups and the downs of entrepreneurship, and so much more. Pour yourself a glass of your favorite bourbon because it's time to dive in to this week's episode. I'm excited to finally meet face to face because I feel like we've gone back and forth on LinkedIn and Instagram for how long now? A year? Two years? I don't know. Probably a year. Okay. Yeah. Did I reach out to you first or did you reach out to me first? I probably reached out to you marketing agencies, agency owners. And I think I probably either saw you commenting on either Brad's posts or Brandon Bobert. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that probably makes sense, that connection. LinkedIn is a funny place. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Brandon and I went golfing earlier this year. Wait, are you serious? Yeah. So, because he's in Rock Hill, South Carolina, so just on the other side of Charlotte. So we we met in at Pinehurst, which is kind of the halfway point yeah. for the two of us. So he brought a couple of his friends. Three of them are part of my hundred people that I'm supposedly golfing with this year. That's awesome. <laughs> How many people have you golfed with so far in 2023? I'm at 24. Oh my so... gosh. Okay, so Q4 is going to be very busy for <laughs> golfing. It either is going to be very busy, or I'm going to fall sadly short of my hundred person goal. But the biggest thing I was trying to do is last round they played three. Times. And I was like, this is not acceptable. <laughs> so I'm like, the only way I'm actually going to do it is if I set a goal and I start telling people I'm going to golf more. That's what's happened. I've golfed probably almost 20 times this year. Some of the times I've been just on my own and things like that. But, you know, I've significantly increased the amount of times just because I've focused on it and made it an important piece of what I'm doing for the year. So I love that. And I just feel like golfing is a great way to network with other people. It's a fun environment. I like that. That's good. Yeah. And I've been playing since I was three. So I've been playing forever. My first set of clubs... Basically, my dad took an adult set, hacksaw, chopped them down shorter, regripped them, and made them three-year-old length. So that is so funny. That's like my husband. He's been golfing since he was, I think, three or four, like since he could walk. Mm. So maybe even earlier than that. So he's been taking me to the driving range very reluctantly and trying right. to show me how to get my swing down. <laughs> and we tend to leave just mad at each other because I <laughs> cannot take feedback for some reason there's something wrong with me where I'm like don't you tell me how to do this I can figure it out I'm on golf TikTok trying to learn how to improve my swing I'm recording myself at the driving range like watching video and I think I'm getting like slightly better I've been at this for probably two years now and I really want to go and play a round of golf just to see if I can do it I feel bad for the person who pairs up with me but I want to do it at some point maybe I'll try like a what is it like a nine hole golf course or a three there's got to be like a three hole around here a children's well, golf course there, there's par three courses here and there okay. yeah so again that just because there's shorter holes the the frustration is is slightly less because instead of having like a 500 yard long hole you've got you know a bunch of like 150 yard holes so that's definitely one way to do it but yeah literally it's just you just got to go out and do it because at a driving range you're gonna hit the same shot over and over and over 
again, you'll never hit the same shot twice in a row on a golf course. So you're using different clubs every single time. You're hitting from different lengths. You're hitting from the rough, the fairway, putting. So it's a completely different experience than just going to the driving range. And the driving range is important because you got to practice just like anything else. But getting an actual golf pro that is not your husband <laughs> will save your marriage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, noted. I'm going to be saving that one for later. I love that idea. All right, let's take a turn. We're going to go on a different journey here and talk about finances. For those of you who don't know, Adam, I call him CFO Adam because it's what he is. He is a CFO and he specifically helps agency owners. And today he's going to help us through the form of a podcast. And I'm really excited to talk to him today. I have a few questions that I want to get through, but I feel like a good starting point would be just talk about the difference between a bookkeeper versus an accountant versus a tax strategist versus a CFO. Because I would say in my first year of business, I really did not know the difference between all of these roles. And I didn't know when to hire which I didn't know what to look for. So that would be really helpful for some of my listeners to just hear the difference between all of those. Yeah. So the way I explain it is first let's look at time frames of what each of those roles looks at. So bookkeeper is literally looking at the here and now. They're going to take all the transactions running through your bank account, credit cards, cash falling out of your pockets. If you do happen to have pockets, I know that's a big complaint that a lot of ladies have is their pants and things like that don't have pockets. But the bookkeeper is looking at right now. They don't really care about last year. They don't care about the future. It's all right now. Tax preparer, CPA, enrolled agent, they're all looking at the past. They're looking at last year's information and saying, okay, for 2022, here's the profit you made. Here's the loss you made. Here's all the categories it goes into all about the past. Where a fractional CFO or a full-time CFO comes in is the future. So they're taking all that information from the bookkeeper and from the tax accountant saying, okay, here's where we are. Here's where we've been. Where do we want to go? And now how do we want to get there? So that strategy piece is really the key component there is taking all of that information and then creating and crafting a story and a plan to say, okay, here we are. We're going to wander down this path. There's the three bears. There's Dorothy and the scarecrow. We're going to keep wandering down that path to get to the Emerald City. And once we get there, ta-da, now we've achieved our goals and we're all happy. And then we hop in a hot air balloon and click our heels and away we go. So that's how I look at the timeframes of what each of those roles look at. From there, as far as when to hire them, day one, it's a bookkeeper. You've got to be tracking all the money coming and going from your business and the bookkeeper is the one that's going to do that. At the end of that first year, and theoretically maybe a couple months before that, that's when you're starting to look for that tax preparer because you know you're going to have to file your annual taxes in the spring for the previous year. And the slowest time of year for any tax accountant anywhere, regardless of what their title or designation is, is November 1st to December 31st. The reason for that, speaking from experience, because that's part of my past life, all the taxes for the prior year are finally filed. All of the extension returns are filed. There aren't any big deadlines in November and December. And most people take that time to not think about money whatsoever, except for how much they're going to spend on gifts for everybody for the holidays and parties and everything like trips to go somewhere warm when you're in somewhere cold. So that's a great time to hit up those accounts and be like, hey, here's where I am for this year through 10 months, 11 months. What stuff can I still do in these last 30 to 60 days to actually impact this year's taxes? And for agency owners, the big things I always look at, subscriptions, where if you can pay for an annual subscription up front, get a discount because you're paying for the full year and you've got the cash flow to do it, I'm going to save 10 or 15%. That's a great 
year-end purchase. If you're looking at hiring somebody, maybe you structure their pay so that they get a sign-on bonus and not necessarily as big of a base salary, but you pay that sign-on bonus here at the end of the year and they're getting the same kind of total comp over the first 12 months, but you're front-loading it you know, kind of like professional athletes do with their signing bonuses and things like that. So there's certain ways and certain of those tax strategies that completely legal and can help pull some of that profit down for this year on stuff you're going to spend money on anyways. So that's the, the second hire in the grand scheme of things. And then from there, those are the two you're going to be sticking with for quite a while. So until you get to half a million, three quarters of a million dollars in revenue, that's all you're really going to have on your finance team. And the place that a lot of people and a lot of agency owners get stuck is they're starting to look for that strategic help. They're like, oh, I'm actually making money. I'm putting money in my pocket. I'm selling a lot of new business. What do I do with it? And who do they go to ask? The tax accountant and the bookkeeper. And they're both transactional finance people. The bookkeeper wants to do your books and nothing else. The tax accountant, in most cases, wants to do your taxes. Maybe they'll do a little tax strategy with you and that's it and nothing else. So there's this kind of yearning of like, I need someone to get some strategic advice. And that's where a fractional CFO can start coming in, whether it's on a long-term basis with a retainer or kind of on a short-term hourly basis, ad hoc basis. It's like, hey, I've got this big decision I need to make. Can we talk for a couple hours to make that kind of decision? So that's where you know getting that strategic help, even if it's just here and there as needed, can be really beneficial. That was so helpful. Thanks for sharing the breakdown of what each does and when to hire which, because I remember <laughs> you're going to judge me. I, see, that's the thing, though. I live just like Planet Fitness in the no judgment zone. So I never judge any because put quotes around expert in the land of finance. But I know that most other people aren't. And just the same thing, if I came to you and was like, look at all these amazing or not so amazing things I've done with my marketing or things that I've spent money on that I really shouldn't have spent money on. Again, you're the expert in that landscape. And that's why people come to you for that expertise. It's the same thing with me. And by setting that basis really early on, I don't care where you've been. I I can see now that you're trying to grow. You're trying to do things the right way. You're trying to make a difference and make it as easy as possible. That's where I slot in and can be really helpful. I love that. Okay. I've never admitted this before on a podcast, but I think now is the perfect time to share. <laughs> so the first 10 months of business, maybe the first 11 months, it was a full first year. I was keeping track of all transactions in a spreadsheet and I was using <laughs> PayPal, Venmo, my personal bank account, whatever it may be to accept money. And I remember giving it to my new bookkeeper and she was appalled. She was like, I cannot believe you've been doing this. And I was like, nobody told me what to do. So I just did what I thought I knew and what would work. And she's like, we can't. No, we're switching you over to QuickBooks and you will be using QuickBooks from here on out. But I remember being so embarrassed, like face was bright red as my bookkeeper was telling me this information. <laughs> so don't do that. If you're doing that, don't do it anymore. Well, I would even say the bookkeeper gave you the wrong message. It was good for you for actually tracking the stuff. And again, speaking from prior experience, if something can hold receipts, I have had someone bring me a pile of receipts in it. From a trash bag, to a paper bag, to a box, to a shoe box. The, the one that crowned everything was a milk 
crate. It's like the crates that grocery stores get like gallons of milk in. Someone yeah. came in carrying that, literally filled with receipts. So those are the things that accountants hate. <laughs> that you came with at least a spreadsheet with the majority of it organized, even if it was in your own fashion. But like, why pay for QuickBooks if you've only got five or 10 transactions a month? Why have that extra fee, that extra thing you're paying for when you've got Excel or Google Sheets or whatever that you can track? And as far as where you're accepting payments, the IRS, obviously they have their preferred method. Like they want a business bank account and everything to run through business bank account, but they're also humans and they understand that humans <laughs> are going to do things the easiest way possible. And if you can get paid through Venmo or PayPal or Cash App or whatever you, you know happen to be using to get paid, as long as you report it at the end of the day, that's really what the IRS cares about. So going back to that no judgment zone, that bookkeeper judged you. <laughs> All finance and accounting people everywhere. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's okay. It's fine. I have since learned my lesson. I no longer use spreadsheets unless I'm trying to math. Like if I'm trying to math, I will like put things in spreadsheets. But other than that, we're very, we're very good about the QuickBooks. And QuickBooks is easy to use. It's got three different ways to do almost any particular task. And business owners are going to use one version of that and one way accountants and bookkeepers are probably going to try to do more, but that's not always necessary. Sometimes it can be, and sometimes it can be helpful, but it doesn't have to be done the most complicated. Oh, we have to do this like a Fortune 500 company because, you know, we have to hand this off to our external auditors at the end of the year. No, you, you don't. <laughs> like if it gets it all in there, gets all the transactions taken care of. That's what really matters at the end of the day. Yeah, that makes sense. So I want to circle back to you talking about hiring a CFO and how far in advance they're planning. When you're talking about future planning for an agency, how far out are you truly planning or does it just depend on the agency and their goals? That's the biggest piece is where the agency is looking to go and how quickly and, and things like that. Because I can make a spreadsheet, come up with whatever result you magically want. Now, is that reality? Probably not in a lot of cases, but I can make the math work so that it's like, okay, if you want to be at 5 million next year, here's a path to get to 5 million next year. So the piece that I always start with is cash flow planning for the next 90 days. And the baseline for that is what are all the deals we have in-house already? What are our current level of expenses? That's our baseline. Then from there, all right, are we looking to grow and how fast we're we looking to grow? And then I'm starting to pull data from other pieces. I'm like, okay, I need to know what the sales pipeline looks like. Because if you want to grow from a million dollar run rate now to a million and a half dollar run rate in 90 days and your pipeline is dry, where is that magically going to come from? You're not just pulling deals out of thin air. So that's where that reality piece of using the other departments and other functional areas of the business, sales, operations, like, oh, well, if we're going to grow to a million and a half run rate, how many more people do we need to actually service those new clients? Like, do we have enough capacity here? So all those different pieces really play into that projection. And that's just the next 90 days. <laughs> so then from there, it gets murkier as you go out further because life happens and reality happens. But having some of those big one-year goals, three-year goals, five-year goals is good because then those get relayed back to the team and say, here's where we're going. Here's what we're trying to do. Because some people are going to be like, oh, I'm not on board for that. <laughs> like, that sounds like a lot more work than what I want to be doing. Maybe this isn't the right place for me. Maybe this isn't the right agency for me as the employee, because I like this tight knit 10, 12, 15 person group 
that we get to joke around in Slack every day and have a good time, but also get our work done. Do I want to be part of a 50 person or 75 person agency? Maybe not. And the beauty of that is that by putting those pieces out in front of the team, they can make those decisions and say, okay, I like where we are now. If we really do get there, I might not be here in two or three years. And, you know, gets them kind of thinking about that too, or they're like, yeah. I love that. Let's go. Let's hit those goals. Let's crush them. And getting that buy-in from the team and having everyone rowing in the same direction brings in more deals. It gets them talking on social media. It gets them potentially bringing in new deals to the pipeline where if no one knows where things are headed, they're just like, head down. I'm going to do my work, put in my 30 hours, 40 hours per week and collect my paycheck every two weeks and good with that. That's such a good point. So I've talked about Lauren with you. Lauren's our COO for anybody listening. And we're very much aligned on where we want to take things. We definitely are interested in making some strategic acquisitions over the next couple of years. And that is something that I haven't talked in depth with, with our team. So like, I know how Lauren and I feel about it, but I don't know how some of our other employees feel Mm -hmm about us growing in that way. And I think sharing that with them would be really valuable. So thank you for that. I'm going to do that today. Well, and the other piece is if you are planning to acquire, now you're bringing in a whole other company's culture and merging those together with yours is sometimes a huge sticking point because if they've been operating in one fashion and you operate in like the other end of the spectrum, (laughs) getting those pieces together. And so that becomes part of like the due diligence process of the, of buying that potential agency. And that can be a reason to be like, nope, that's not the right agency. Even though they might fit exactly what we're looking for from ICP standpoint and from a revenue standpoint and a team size standpoint, their culture isn't anything like ours. And it's going to be too much of a hurdle and take too long to to mesh those together. And also their clients that you're buying are used to dealing with their culture and how they operate and everything like that. So if those pieces can't mesh either, those clients are going to churn and then you'll have paid for nothing. Yeah, that's what I know that this is going to be the longest process ever because one, we're being picky on location. We really want to buy an agency in the area, whether it's Louisville, Lexington, Cincinnati, Indy, we want to be able to just have proximity to the business we're buying. And then on top of that, yes, culture is very important to us. We have a really great culture at Neat and it's something that I pride myself on. And yeah, I think buying another agency that didn't operate in a similar way as we did or didn't have similar vibes, it could get really messy really quickly. And then I might be like, oh my God, what did we just spend a million dollars on or whatever it may be? So the process will be interesting as we go about it because we're not just buying a product, we're buying people essentially and we're Mm -hmm. buying clients and clients are also people. So yeah, I need to get with other agency owners who have gone through that process of making an acquisition and talking to them about how that process went. Yeah, we'll see what happens, but that's coming down the pipeline. (laughs) So so to the team that's listening to this right now, (laughs) in case Jen (laughs) forgot to mention this the day that it got recorded. This is the plan for neat. Strategic acquisitions are on their way. Get ready. (laughs) Buckle up. Buckle up, buttercup. (laughs) That's hilarious. What are some trends you're seeing when it comes to agency finances? Overhiring is a big one right now. And I recorded a video maybe a week or two ago under the, what I call the hope to strategy. (laughs) Can you talk about this? Because I read your LinkedIn post or I I saw something and I'm like, oh wait, I know so many people who operate in this way. And Lauren and I are very crazy about how we hire. Like we have pods and we know the max capacity of each pod. And once we get to like 75, 80% capacity, 
that's when we kind of start to look for other people for the next pod. Right. What I call the hope to strategy is I hope to close these deals this month, this quarter, this year. And in relation to that, instead of hoping to hire the people that go along with that revenue, they hire those people anyways in preparation for closing all of these deals. So that's what I've coined the, the hope to strategy. And the hardest part this year in 2023 is deal cycles have been lengthening because companies are cutting back on marketing, whether or not they should. Obviously, all the data and everything points to companies should spend more on marketing when downturns going on because people get scared and stop spending on marketing so they can pick up market share in a hurry. But inevitably, a lot of businesses cut back on marketing. So what that does is for agencies, either deal they're like, oh, this would normally take 30 or 45 days to close. Now it's taking 90. It usually takes three months. Now it's taking six months. So if that was what was projected in originally into their revenue projections, they're like, oh, when I get to this level of revenue, I need to have this team in place for it. So they start interviewing and they fall in love with the people that they interview. And they're like, you're hired. They're thinking in the back of their mind, I know I'm going to go out and sell a bunch of new business. And then it's not coming in or it's coming in slower. So now they've got a new expense for these new staff members without the revenue to actually support it. So that has been a trend that I've seen over the last nine to 12 months is becoming more and more prevalent. And because a lot of agency owners are people people, they never want to get rid of anybody. Once they've come on board the bus or they've come into the Hotel California, they don't get to check out. They're here forever until they make a decision. By having those people on board, it's like, okay, well, we thought we were going to sell $30,000 a month in new deals. We're selling 15. We staffed for $30,000 a month. What does that mean? We need to unstaff and staff for 15. So making those decisions sooner rather than later gets you back on track. It's like, okay, at least now our staffing is matching our revenue. And it's the worst decision any business owner ever has to make is letting somebody go. And a lot of times it may not even be performance related. Like literally in that situation, it doesn't mean that person wasn't performing. It's there weren't enough sales that came in, covered their salary. Got to let you go because the business owner has a responsibility to the business themselves and their family to make it a profitable business. And the first person that always takes a hit is the agency owner. And they take those hits long enough. And you know, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this very expensive hobby when I could be in corporate America making quarter of a million dollars a year or $400,000 a year? Like, why am I putting myself through all this stress to make $50,000? And that's the realization that sometimes they kind of need someone to slap them upside the head and say, we tried. We had these big goals. We went after them. It didn't come to fruition. We've overhired. Now we need to scrape some of that back. And let's figure out, you know, maybe it's we take this person from a full-time person, convert them over to being a contractor, and they still work on a couple of projects. But instead of billing it $7,000 a month, now it's only three. So it doesn't have to be, mean that they just go away completely. There's other ways to convert them and keep them around. And it might be the person like, no, I can't do just three. I've got to go find another full-time job. Okay, that's what you got to do. That makes sense. Yeah, I will say, I mean, as an agency owner myself, hiring is really, really tricky because I feel like we plan pretty well for hiring, but there have been times where we have made a hire and then two people stop paying, two clients decide that they're not paying this month. And that puts us in a really difficult position, especially if we hired someone to work on those client accounts mm -hmm. and then those clients no longer pay us. So it can be really difficult as you grow as an agency to make those hiring decisions and 
as good as I think we've gotten at it, we have still come across issues. Yeah. And the business is seasonal. It might not mm -hmm. seem like it because it's like, oh, well, people do marketing all year round. Maybe. It depends on what type of client. Like if you're working with e-commerce, we're in fourth quarter. Fourth quarter is enormous for e-commerce. Is it as busy in third quarter? Maybe if they're in like school supplies or clothing or something like that, where it's kind of the back to school. But if they're in toys, probably not a lot of toys being bought in Q3 versus in Q4. So their marketing needs are going to change throughout the year. And so so, you know, being on like a fixed long-term retainer might not make sense for them, or they might not be spending as much on ad spend in those other months because they know they're not going to get the return off of it. And that's where the expertise on your strategy side comes in is to, to have those conversations with them. But yeah, having someone just all of a sudden be like, yeah, we're not going to pay you. And you're like, but but we did work for you. We did all the stuff we were supposed to do. How are you not paying us? And they obviously have their own business and their own cash flow and everything else issues that are going on. And that's when it comes to those situations, it's all about a conversation. If you've got the account manager, that have the pulse on it. There's something going on here. Just having that candid conversation with them. And we're like, hey, you know, do you need an extra week or two weeks to pay? We'd rather have full payment two weeks late than no payment ever. <laughs> or yeah, do we need to renegotiate your agreement? And so instead of doing a $10,000 a month retainer, we're doing a $7,000 a month retainer and we reduce the amount of services. So having those, you know, account managers that are really have their pulse with the client and saying, you know, what's really going on here and kind of having their back because they're that liaison into the agency. They're the person that the client should be going to all the time, good, bad, otherwise, and providing that kind of feedback from their end. Yeah, 100%. Oh, I like that you brought that up. Okay. I have one more question for you. What are the biggest mistakes you see when you first start working with an agency as you're digging through the books, as you're having conversations with the CEO? What are you finding that you're like, oh no, like, why did you do this? <laughs> I don't know that it's necessarily a mistake, but I think it's, it becomes the default. They manage their business financially off their bank balance. Mm -hmm. So, and a lot of it goes into, they don't trust what's in their books. And whether that's their bookkeeper, it's a bookkeeper issue, or it's a communication issue, or whatever it is, they're like, I see this much money coming and going from my bank account this month. I get a profit and loss statement and it doesn't match. And I, you know, and I've had clients that have started there and like, okay, well, this is, you know, these are the reasons why not everything goes through the profit and loss statement. And so there becomes that kind of educational process. And a lot of times, again, it's no one ever told them. There is no class in college of business owner finances and how to understand financial reports for all the universities out there. Start such a course. <laughs> but a lot of times it's that they're seeing this one piece of data and their finances, QuickBooks, Zero, whatever they're using, even though it's the exact same data is reporting it differently and they don't know how to walk across from one to the other. They don't know where those points are. And the other piece that I see is they get overwhelmed with the financial reports. They're like, there's so many numbers on these pages. <laughs> and so they just look at the bottom like, what is that bottom number? Did I make a profit? Did I make a loss? Okay, I made a profit this month. Hooray, celebration and move on. So there's two things that I do in those cases is one, I really shrink down their financial reports. So with any agency, there's three big costs. There's people, there's ad spend you're managing if you're doing that piece with your clients and there's everything else. The people piece is probably 75% of what you're sending out every single month. So the way QuickBooks works, 
works is expenses are in alphabetical order. Where do salaries and wages fall in the alphabet? Not near the beginning. <laughs> so on those reports, they fall very low to the bottom. But there's a way to change that. In QuickBooks, you can add an account number that reorders them. And so you can bring that number all the way to the top of your financial reports because it's the biggest number that's going out the door. Now it's the first line of your financial report instead of the 33rd. So that's the first piece I do is kind of reorder into more priority level. And the second part of that piece is all the little stuff that really doesn't make an impact. The $23 you spent on paper clips and all those little things, I roll them all together because instead of having 30 lines that have 12, 15, $123, I roll them all up. And it's like, oh, well now it's $2,500 for all of that. Great. I'm doing 200,000 a month. I really don't care that much about $2,500 as long as it stays right around $2,500 every month. So that's step one. The other piece is agency owners are creative 99% of the time. If they can see it in a chart or a graph instead of numbers on a page, the comprehension level goes through the roof. So I will take those numbers on a page, turn them into what I consider pretty charts and graphs that tell literally the exact same story, but in a different fashion. And now pet agents are looking to be like, oh, that's what that actually means. And that's how that's changing month to month. And literally it's the same thing. It's just now it's in a line graph instead of being a thousand, twelve hundred, eight hundred, a thousand numbers on a page. Comprehension is completely different. And it gets them to start thinking like, oh, that's way too much. Or that went up this month a lot. That went down this month a lot because it fits in their learning style and how they like receive and how they like to view things. So those are the two biggest pieces that I'll do early on with pretty much every single client, just so that I'm speaking the same language in the finances that they are. I feel like you just called me out. I'm so guilty of going all the way down to the end of a PL and being like, okay, wait, we made a couple thousand dollars this month. And we're like, oh, we lost $10,000 this month. And it's so funny because, and I know my agency owners will definitely relate to this. Like you'll look at your bank account and you're like, cool, I have money. And then you get your PL and it's like, actually we're poor. We can't spend any money, fire everybody on the team, shut the business down. <laughs> Right. And again, it's the same information. It is. Presented in two different fashions. And yeah, or it's like, oh, there's no money in the bank account, but it looks like we made all sorts of profit this month. Where did it go? Like, where's all the money? And it's, oh, because, you know, three months ago, we put a bunch of money on a credit card. This month, we paid off that credit card. Well, so we showed a big loss three months ago when we put all that money on a credit card. We show a big profit this month to kind of balance it out when we pay it off. So again, it's that story around the finances that makes all the difference instead of just looking at those raw numbers and being like, okay, you know, these things don't compute. Yeah, exactly. I'm really lucky to have a COO who's capable of talking me off a ledge and sitting me down and saying, what is this? Like, why did we spend like $700 on this? I don't know what this is. She's very good about walking me through things and I'm so lucky to have her, but I understand not everybody has a COO, especially a COO who's more finance savvy. She also does our books too, which is great because we kind of can see what's going on instead of having a bookkeeper now just pass things over to us and being like, okay, here's your PL. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And that is literally the message that you'll get from any bookkeepers. Here's your PL. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> if you're lucky, you'll get a PL. I'm not gonna like name names. We had a bookkeeper who just didn't do our books for like months at a time. We'd be like, huh, I wonder like what's going on this month. <laughs> we don't really know. Right. I'm looking at the bank account. There's a lot of money in there. Can I spend it? Can I not spend it? <laughs> <laughs> We were who never really this, sure. Who, who do I owe this money to? <laughs> like, why is it all sitting there? <laughs> Finances were always a journey, but we're on a we're on a better path more recently. So, right. if you were bringing bring in that agency math, <laughs> yeah, agency math. The math is not mathing. <laughs> 
there's a reason why I am a visionary. I'm a COO. I like set goals. And then we have like my COO who is like numbers driven. She's an integrator. We complement each other so well, because if it were up to me, I mean, I don't think I'd still be here. I don't know what would be going on if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah. Systems and processes are, are really important when you have that visionary. Because I'm sure you come up with three new ideas every single day. And you're every like, day. let's go. And you're like off like a mile down the path. And everyone else is like, where'd Jen go? Yeah. She's like way over here. Everyone else is lagging behind. I do that at 2 a.m. I'll message our COO and be like, so I was thinking we should probably do X, Y, and Z. I know this is more of like a 2026 goal, but I think we should start on it now. And I'm going to go ahead and get to work. And then she'll wait. <laughs> up at like nine and be like what did I miss between the hours of 2 a.m and 9 a.m like what what happened with you yes oh goodness gracious all right well I want to wrap this up but I want to give you a chance to promote the heck out of yourself how can people find you what are you offering give us all the things okay so across all the social medias it's CFO Adam is the easiest way to find me so search for that you know hashtag or screen name or username I've got two primary services one is my one-to-one service for agency owners typically in that like million plus range is where I work with them I also have what I call the financial elevation group it is for business owners that are on the smaller side that are looking for that strategic help, looking to get those questions answered. It's once a month for an hour. It's only 97 bucks a month. So for any of those agency owners, they're like, hmm, I've been asking these questions of my accountant and my bookkeeper and I don't get any answers. Hey, I can ask CFO Adam those questions. And what I do is I take four of the questions every month. I hot seat those for 10 minutes a piece. And then I typically go into either I present on something for 20 minutes or we do kind of a group discussion on a topic for the last 20 minutes of the hour. So the newest piece is we're actually rolling out a community on top of that, where kind of throughout the month, if people have questions or issues, they can kind of bounce back and forth questions and ideas with the other business owners that are group members as well. So that is rolling out here in October. So the Serve Neat podcast listeners are some of the first people to to find out about that new development. So those are the two biggest ways to be able to work with me on a regular basis. I love it. And definitely follow Adam on LinkedIn and Instagram. He puts out really good content for agency owners. And he's just fun. You're so fun to communicate with over social media. I feel like a lot of accountants, CPAs, bookkeepers, money people are typically really dry and dull, but like you're spicy, you're fun, you're funny. (laughs) Keep it up. I I will continue dropping snark. I will throw some memes and gifts in there. I'll make sure that people's plants stay alive long distance. (laughs) Hold on, I have to talk about that. Okay, so I don't know, like a month ago or two months ago, I posted on my LinkedIn that in the background of all my Zoom calls, you can see my plant graveyard and like plants just weren't doing well. And then I kid you not, a couple days later, Amazon arrives at my house and there's a package. And I'm like, I did not order this package. Like, what the heck is this? And there was no note in it when I opened it up, but it was all these watering globe balls for your plants. And I'm like, this is so weird. Like somebody following me on LinkedIn must have seen this thing. They sent me a gift, but like, who has my address? Like, that is so weird. How did they figure this out? And again, there was no note. So I didn't know it came from you. And I remember posting it on my LinkedIn, like who sent these to me? And then you slid into my DMs and basically told me you sent them. And I am just so grateful for the the bulbs keeping my plants alive. They're, they're looking much better. <laughs> the one behind me has never looked better. 
there is one that's literally growing new leaves and before it was brown so adam is incredibly thoughtful he sends you (laughs) things to keep your plants alive 20 out of 10 recommend him all right i think it's all part of the service it's all part of the service (laughs) white truly white glove service yes green thumb service (laughs) green thumb service yes all right i think that's the pod thanks for tuning in to this episode of served neat I hope you enjoyed listening and found some tasty nuggets of marketing wisdom to help you take your brand to the next level. Remember, just like a perfectly crafted cocktail, marketing is all about finding the right balance and serving it up with a splash of creativity. So keep building, keep refining, and keep serving up your brand with style. And if you're thirsty for more insights, follow us on Instagram at Nate underscore the agency for even more marketing tips and tricks. Be sure to subscribe and join us for our next episode of Served Nate. Until then, cheers.